listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Indeed, welcome to the show. This is the Fret Files Podcast, Guitar Repair Podcast. My name is Eric Daw. With me, as always, is my lovely wife, Melissa. Hello, Melissa. Good evening, everyone. We're getting it done late this month, but hey, we're getting it in under the wire. Yes. You know? And that's really the point. We're pulling through for you guys. I aim for the 15th of every month, but sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. I don't suppose it matters as long as I get one done for that month, right? Right, sure. And, you know, life catches up with you, and you uh, get your time taken up by other things, like insane home repair problems and and uh, dental problems. We've had our fill of things this month. Phil, speaking of fill, i got to go get a filling in two days. Yeah. I'm not excited. I really... I really... I, well, who doesn't? But I really can't stand going to the dentist. It's awful. I love the dentist. You do not. Uh, yeah, you're right. Um, Eric has had a toothache for like a month. Am I right? Well, yeah. I went in. You don't want to hear about my dental problems. This is ridiculous. But I do have... Actually, something funny did happen, though. He goes, uh, you know, I'm sitting in the chair, and they make you fill out a bunch of stuff about yourself, like... Are you now or have you ever been diagnosed with schizophrenia or whatever? And one of the things is occupation. So I wrote guitar repair, which I usually do on anything like that. And he comes into the room and he's, you know, doesn't even look at me, right? He's just looking at my chart, (laughs) flipping pages. And he says, so you do gutter repair, huh? I said, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Repair gutters. I didn't want to get into. I mean, why do they even make you write down your occupation anyway? Like, what is what does it matter? Maybe, maybe like, he's going like to fix a, my teeth different if I'm a chimney sweep. It's like a financing thing. Like, what if you need a lot of work done and they're like, "Well, this guy's a janitor. He obviously can't afford this." Yeah, I don't know what the deal is, but so now I have to go back. But I don't have a cavity. He said I just have sensitive teeth. Oh. Yeah. Well, I do have a cavity, but it's a different tooth oh, that's, I, than the I, one that's sensitive. I see. Never mind. You guys don't care. Uh, I really appreciate all the questions and comments you've been sending in. I can't do the podcast if you guys don't participate, and you're really following through. So thank you very much, and keep it up. And if you're a listener, you've never submitted a question, send one in. Why not? I mean, even if you think that you, it's a stupid question, sometimes those are the best ones. Right. For real. And even if you know the answer to the question, send it in. Maybe somebody else doesn't. Right. It's this is a Or maybe Eric will surprise you with a weird answer. Right. It's a participation podcast. 
Yeah, how's that? So, to participate in the show, it's very easy to do. Go to ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link, and you can send off a message there. And uh, you can also call the show at 757-774-8482. You're looking at me like I'm an, an insane person. I don't mean to be. I'm really botching this. You're doing great. You can call the show 757-774-8482. Uh, you can also text that number. Leave leave a voicemail. Yeah. I really like, um, you know, the Google does an automatic text. Of yeah, it's a, your, it's a of Google voice. Mail. It's a Google voice number. Right. And so when when you send, when you call in and leave a voicemail, it sends hilarious emails. Oh, right. Yeah. Google listens to your voice and tries to transcribe it. Right. That's, yeah. They get about maybe 20% of the words right. Then, it usually says something like, wampum smokestack guitar <laughs> and chimney... Alabama. It's great. It's actually very funny to read those. In fact, sometimes I think we should use those instead of the voicemail. No, no. Great. Well, let's get right into the questions. What do you say? There's a lot of them. Let's get into it. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Hi, Eric. I'll cut to the chase. What's the friggin' deal with Telecaster input jack retainer clips? Those things are nonsense. Is there a way to put it in without the $30 tool? <laughs> yeah, they are kind of nonsense, aren't they? Um, you know, it's interesting when they, when they, in the early days, they didn't have those. They had a, a, a cup that was knurled and just fit inside the hole in the side of the guitar a lot like the way the uh, the ferrules, the string ferrules in the back of the guitar fit in. And it just, they would just tap in and they, you know, fit because they were, you know, slightly larger than the hole and it had ridges all around and you just tapped it in and it was held in with tension. And they must have had problems with those falling out because then they went to that weird pressed cup that has the retainer clip. And that retainer clip is is really a pain in the neck to if you're installing one fresh or if you're trying to repair one that's gone soggy. Uh, a couple things. So first of all, you want to make sure you're re- using a good brand. I've seen a lot of those where the retainer clip just isn't big enough and it doesn't have t- teeth to grab onto the, uh, to the wood. Um, I, Mighty Might sells a real crappy one. Who else? I, I don't know. I've seen a bunch of different brands that they just aren't. They just don't work. The best one I've seen is from All Parts. All Parts has one that has really four really nice sharp teeth, and you bend that thing a little bit. You put it in the hole. You put the jack in. You put the cup in, and then as you tighten the nut, it brings it all together, and it and it spreads that clip out to where the teeth really dig into the sides and it works it's not perfect but it's it's about the best one i've seen but the real fix the real answer is to use an electro socket jack those are the best 
The electro socket is a completely different type of jack cup. It doesn't have the retainer clip. It just has um, uh, two holes in it, and you screw it into the body. It has a futuristic-sounding name. Electro socket. Electro socket. And you can get those through all parts or any number of outlets. I'm sure they're on eBay or wherever. Uh, and uh, the slick thing about those is you don't have to use the nut for the jack. The jack cup is pretty thick, and it's threaded, and it becomes the the nut for the jack. So you thread that onto your jack, use a lock washer, thread that onto your jack good and tight, put the jack cup in, and then put two screws in, and it holds it in real nice. That's if you don't mind the new fancy modern looking the futuristic jack cup because it does it has a different look but it's down there it, yeah at the bottom of the gets, you're never going to look at yeah. it if 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 you don't like them because they look too new get over it because you you you'll never look at it and certainly no one whoever looks at your guitar while you're playing it is will ever see it now, if you have a vintage guitar, don't go drilling holes in it with by using an electro socket jack. You can, uh, you should be able to get those to behave. No, I feel your pain. I totally do. It, it, those, those really are a pain in in the rear end, as they say. Well, thank you for the question. Hi, Eric and Melissa. This is Aaron from Turkey. I have a question about my Martin D18, which has a rich light fretboard and a white Corian nut. I love this guitar, particularly the shape of the nut, playability of the fretboard, and the sound of the guitar. But I'm still wondering... Do you, do you think he means shape of the neck? I don't know. I think he does. The shape of the nut doesn't make any sense to me, but maybe... I don't know. Anyway, continue. Uh, but I'm still wondering what a pro thinks about these mat- materials. Am I missing so much without a bone nut and a hardwood fretboard? Thanks. P.S. Eric, I bought your album online, and I enjoyed it a lot. Thanks oh, again. My condolences. <laughs> uh, thank you, Aaron. I appreciate the question, and thanks for ordering my CD. Uh, I don't know where you got that, because I I don't think they're available anymore. I don't know. There's a few out there. I don't know. Anyway. I, yeah, I don't think we have one. Uh, the Corian Nut Rich Light Fretboard, um, they're not bad, if I were making a guitar, it's not what I would use. I mean, I'm an old-fashioned guy. I, I like I like bone as a material for nuts and saddles. Um, Corian and Micarta and Tusk, you know, with a Q, T-U-S-Q. Tusk, with air quotes. Uh, those are all plastic. I mean, I know that they're... they're they're engineered plastics. They're very fancy plastics, but they're still plastics. And the advantage of those really is for the company that you're buying the guitar from in the sense that they're cheaper to make because they're injection molded, uh, they're mass produced, and so they don't have to pay somebody with uh, with a set of files and sandpaper and whatever else to make a bone nut. They're just, they're mass produced. So it saves them a lot of labor and time. And they're not bad. You know, those, those 
fancy engineered plastics like Corian and Micarta and uh, Tusk. They're okay. It's they're not my favorite, but you know, on a on a slightly more budget or a, or a medium grade guitar, they're fine. The Richlight fretboard, Richlight is like a it's like a phenolic uh, resin with it's like Bakelite. It's like Bakelite, kind cool. of. Yeah, and it's fine. It's fine. It looks like ebony, but it's not. You know. Um, yeah, I'm just old-fashioned, man. I like hardwood. I like rosewood or ebony or whatever, and I like bone for nuts and saddles. Um, I, I realize it's more expensive to get a guitar that has those, uh, but I don't know. I kind of hate to see Martin using stuff like that, but whatever. Whatever. That's just the, that's just how it is now, you know. And um, it, it, really, the reasons that they're using it is because um, they're acceptable materials. They're way better than the than the plastic nuts of yesteryear that are just garbage. They're 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 marginally acceptable materials, and they are cheap to mass produce. So I, I'm sure Martin feels like it's. Uh, it's an acceptable trade-off. Sure. But you won't find high-end boutique guitars with, uh, with, well, I should take that back. You, actually, you will. <laughs> uh, you will. Ouch. I know. It's sad. I, I, look, what can I say? I'm a craftsman by trade, and I make bone nuts from bone blanks, and, uh, there's a beauty to it that, I mean, uh, a highly polished, handmade bone nut compared to a a Korean nut. There's just no. There's just no comparison. So, would you recommend that Aaron replace his nut or keep yeah. it the way it is because he loves well, it? Well, you know, if you like the guitar, man, go with it. If you like the guitar, go with it. I, if it were my guitar, I would put a bone nut on it. But you know, it's that's really not the kind of guitar I would own anyway. So. Not that there's anything wrong with it. It's a fine guitar, but uh, yeah, I'm just old fashioned. You know, that's that's what I like. But thanks, thanks so much for the question, man. I, I appreciate it, and I'm glad you like the guitar because that's really what it's about, man. It doesn't really matter what I think. Right. You've got a guitar that you like. That's awesome. It's perfect. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. For the podcast, what is best to use for regular fretboard conditioning? Should I use the stuff from the guitar shop? Or I've also heard to use linseed oil. Thanks, Doug in Virginia. Thanks, Doug. Doug is talking about unfinished darkwood fingerboards like... Rosewood. Rosewood, ebony. You know, if you if you have a maple fingerboard like this guitar behind you right here, only my wife can see this. No one else. There's a maple neck yeah. behind me. Uh, those don't need to be oiled, you know, when they're when they're painted, when they have a thick coat of paint. But the unfinished hardwood fingerboards need to be oiled from time to time. And the stuff they sell at the guitar store is great. You know, there's a product called Guitar Honey. That's my personal favorite. You can use lemon oil. Um, I would actually... uh, Linseed oil's okay, but uh, it really dries up sticky sometimes it's almost more of a uh, finishing oil like tongue oil you know um it's not i don't know it's okay to use if you just rub it on 
and then quickly rub off all the excess, it's fine. But it does tend to get sticky um, if you use too much of it, and it's kind of a it's kind of overkill. I, I I it's not the first thing I would recommend. Well, what do you use? I use a product called Guitar Honey. Oh, made by Gerlitz. G e r l i t z. That's what I like. Well, but lemon oil is great too. I've got a bottle of. I mean, if you go down to Safeway, and they've got Old English lemon oil. Furniture polish. Yeah, but it's lemon oil. I mean, it's great. That's fine too. Cool. Just uh, don't use stuff with silicone in it. I don't know, but whatever. It's, guitar honey is what I recommend. All right. So. Hey Eric, have you ever installed a Buzz Fighten tuning system, and what is your opinion on it? Mm. My second question is, how easy is it to make your own pickups at home, and what are some tools I should consider? Great podcast. Jonathan in Victoria, Canada. Thanks, Jonathan. He submitted several questions, I think, if yeah. it's the same one. There's probably more than one Jonathan in, in Victoria, B.C., right? How many of them listen to the Fret Files? Well, I don't know. Probably a good half of them. <laughs> uh, the Buzz Fighting Tuning System is um, not my thing. If you're not familiar with it, it involves moving the nut of your guitar towards the first fret, and then um, you have to intonate it down at the bridge. You intonate it using Buzz Fighton's special tuning system with special uh, with a special strobe tuner with presets... And it's um, it's supposed to be a better way to intonate your guitar so that it is more in tune with itself. But I'm just not into it. I I don't know. It 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 can cause tuning problems if there's say you've got two guitars in your band and one of them has the buzz fight and tuning system and one of them doesn't, or if you just go to jam with people or a piano or whatever i don't know it's not my thing first of all i don't like to see a nut being moved on a guitar and uh the um the proprietary little offset tuning device that you have to buy i don't know it's it's not worth it to me i've i've uh i've worked in i worked in a shop where they used to install that and um I don't know. I wasn't super impressed with it. That's just me. I don't know. It's kind of a thing that was big 20 years ago. And uh, you, you never really hear anybody talk about it anymore. It's it's kind of gone out of favor. Hmm. His other question was, how easy is, is it to make your own pickups at home? Well, um, yeah, you could probably make it easy. It could, you could also make it very difficult. Uh, the biggest problem is going to be getting a nice even coil, uh, unless you have a nice winder. So, um, I mean, I think the, the first, the first pickup I ever wound was on a record player. Mm, I remember it very <laughs> vividly because it took be, about four hours. That's got to be six or seven years ago. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It, I've, I've, I've made several pickup winders until I finally settled on what I've got now and I just use you know you can you can use sewing machine parts you can use all kinds of things I've seen guys on YouTube that are that make a a pickup winder out of a hand drill oh. 
So it can be done. It can be done, but if you're going to do it with any regularity, you kind of need professional equipment, and you're, you're either going to need to make it or buy it, and uh, it just comes down to time and or money. So this isn't like a one-off thing. If you just want to make yourself a one, well, if you one want to make pickup. one pickup, yeah, you could you could order just a little bit of wire and maybe a, a pickup bobbin from Mojo or Stumac and wind one, see how you like it. But I mean, you'd need a pickup winder. Well, yeah, but uh, that's what I'm saying. You could you could you could rig up a hand drill or something oh, like that to to do just it. Just as a yeah, stopover. But, but if you're going to wind more than a couple, a hand drill is just not. It's it's not going to work yeah. long term. But totally. experiment with it. You know, pickup parts are actually pretty cheap. So you could go. You could buy a a bobbin and the magnets for ten bucks, and then get a small spool of wire. You know, I mean, it's, you're not going to be out much if you just want to experiment with it. It's kind of fun. Cool. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. This is Jay Boone, owner of Emerald City Guitars in downtown Seattle, the best source for vintage guitars and amplifiers, not only on the West Coast, but around the world. As we embark on our 20th year of business down here in Pioneer Square, we are striving to continue to bring you great service and great products. We're remodeling our whole store this year, and it's going to be amazing. We're also redoing our website, emeraldcityguitars.com, for our online customers around the world. We'd like to give a big shout-out of appreciation for all your patronage over all the years down here at Emerald City Guitars, and we really strive to continue to bring the best that we can to our customers. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com or visit our shop at 83 South Washington Street in downtown Seattle. Our business line is 206-382-0231, and we're open Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Remember, Emerald City Guitars, the best source for vintage guitars and amplifiers and service and repair. Hi, Eric. Just discovered the Fret Files, and it's a great podcast. I've been hoping someone would do a repair-related cast forever. I have a few questions for you. I've got a Japanese Fender Tele that plays great and sounds killer, but have been having some fretting out issues only at the 13th fret on the high E string. Raising or lowering the action doesn't seem to help, and the neck seems well adjusted. The other five strings seem okay, just not sure why this one string might be having issues. Could it be a high fret, and if so, is there a way to check on this? My other question is a weird one, but here it goes. I'm visually impaired, so it's difficult to adjust my neck relief, as I can't see if the neck is straight or not. Do you have any suggestions of doing it by feel, or is it just something I'll always have to take a repair tech, take it to a repair tech for? Thanks so much again, and I hope these aren't completely ridiculous questions. Not at all. Looking forward to the next Fret Files cast, Kurt. Cool, Kurt. Thank you so much, man. I'm glad you're listening. Um, if you've got one fret and one string that is misbehaving, you, you you do likely have a high fret there. It's hard for me to diagnose something like that without seeing it, but there is a good way to find that out, and what you need to do is is take something that has a nice straight edge to it, if you have a small straight edge, or, you know, even even in a pinch, something like, you know, that, 
the side of your driver's license or something like that. Uh, of course, Kurt says he's visually impaired. I don't know the extent of your uh, sight, so I don't know if this will work for you or not. But um, what you want to do is you want to lay the straight edge across the problem area and see if the straight edge is rocking on the fret. So if the frets are nice and even, you should be able to put a straight edge across it. And I'm talking about, you know, something that's going to span maybe six frets. If you set a straight edge down on the frets there, if the frets are nice and even, they shouldn't, it shouldn't rock back and forth at all. But if you can see it teeter-totter on one fret in particular, then you know that's your high fret. And how do you fix a high fret? Well, you can sometimes just tap it back down and it'll sit right back down because there's there's teeth on the tang that, that's, that sits inside the neck. Sure. And those teeth are grabbing the wood. If the slot is fatigued and there's not enough wood for the tang to grip onto, then it's going to have to be either taken out, retensioned, and tapped back in, or held down and glued in. And you probably want to take that, too. I'm guessing you'd want to. I mean, if you find a high fret with the straight edge method that I that I told you about, and you just tap that one fret, you know, you don't want to go to town. Just tap it lightly um, with a small hammer, you know, move the strings aside and give it yeah. a little give it a little wrap. Make sure that there's something supporting the neck underneath where you're tapping see if you can get it to sit back down you know the other thing is you could have a a, a low fret <laughs> um, if if there's some wear in the fret yeah and his other question was is there a way to adjust the neck doing it by feel not really um, one thing you can do if you hold down the string at the first fret and then hold down like the high E string, hold it down at the first fret and then hold down the same string with your pinky way up high on the neck, then you can take your index finger and kind of tap the string in the middle of the neck and see if there's any relief in the neck that way. If you can hold down the string up high and up low and the string is resting on the neck, then you know there's no relief in it. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. And then if there's a little bit of relief, you should be able to see the string moving just a hair. And what if it's bowed the other way? Is there a way to... If there's a back bow, then you're going to see the string resting right on the frets. Okay. Because that string is a straight line. Right. So that's one way to do it, but he mentions he's visually impaired. I don't know to what extent, so I don't know if that's going to help you or not, but that's the only thing that comes to mind. Is there, can I mean, like using a straight edge to find a high fret, could you use a, a long straight yeah, edge? Yeah, yeah, but I'm, yeah. Yeah, you could. Huh. But I'm guessing, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. That's Yeah, that's another way to do it, but by feel, not really. It's it's not really a feel thing. It's more it's more accurate than that. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Thanks for the question, Kurt. That was those were good questions. They Kurt. really were, man. 
All right. The next one is a long one, and I particularly like it. Do you? Yeah. All right. This guy thinks on my level. Hey, Eric. Love your podcast, and I like your clear opinions. I have come up with a voodoo scale to rate the effects of various approaches to improving your guitar tone. The voodoo scale runs from one, where the actual, where the actually is a measurable effect. I'm sorry, where there actually is a measurable effect, to ten, where any effect comes down to the supernatural. <laughs> Below, find a list of statements that you can rate using this scale. Number one. Okay, so he's going to list nine situations, and I'm supposed to say whether whether it actually will affect your tone or not, right? Right. Okay. Using the voodoo scale. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm just going to comment on them as you read them rather than go back to them later. Okay, so, that sounds good. So number one. Number one, use a unidirectional guitar cable with dedicated plugs for guitar and amp. For best hmm. signal flow. Yes, you can really buy these. Yeah. Probably BS. Um, I've never tried one, so I can't really say. But I have definitely tried high-end signal cables. Uh, and uh, they do sound better. You know, a cheap guitar cable will actually... Um, it, it actually has a little bit of capacitance to it, and it will bleed off some of the real high frequencies. So, so a very a very high end audio cable instrument cable is definitely a good thing. I like Monster Cable. You know, when when they when they came out with these high end like Monster Cables and uh, I don't remember some of the other brands, Lava Cables, Mogami is another one. When they when they came out with these high end cables, I thought. Pff, and seventy-five bucks for a cable? You got to be kidding me! I just use the free one that comes with the, you know, the guitar. Well, if you AB them, there really is a difference, and I I know because I did this, you know, twenty years ago or whenever they came out. Um, sit there with the same guitar and same amp, use a cheap cable and use an expensive cable, and you you actually do hear a difference. It's like somebody took a blanket off the amp when you use the nice cable. Wow! Yeah. So a directional cable, I don't know, but but good quality cable definitely makes a difference. Okay. Use very thick instrument cables to transport the signal. Ah, uh, well, that relates to what I was just talking about. Yeah, high-end audio cables really do make a difference. But does the does the thickness matter? Well, the the high-end ones are thick. Oh. Thicker. Okay. I don't know. They, you used to be able to buy, uh, in my hometown, there was a music store there. You used to be able to buy th these really cheap cables that just, they came with guitars, you know, guitars that came from China that have, like, a little pack inside the cardboard box where there's, like, an Allen wrench and a, nice. and a couple of picks and a cable. And those cables are the worst. I mean, they really are bad but they would throw those in a bin and you could buy them for a dollar so i'd just buy I'd buy five bucks worth and if three of them worked then there you go <laughs> i mean that's when i was a kid you know i mean i didn't care as right. long as i had a cable right all right number three use hand wound pickups uh there are very very high end and very very great sounding machine wound pickups like like Gibson's PAF, you know, that, that's a 
that's uh, one of the holy grail of pickups. So yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm a big fan of of good quality pickups and pickups that are made with high attention to detail, but they don't necessarily have to be hand wound. Even though that's what I do, that's what I like. But um, yeah, cool. Number four. Oh, am I supposed to be using a one through ten rating yes, scale here? You're ah, supposed to use the voodoo scale. I'll just give you my opinion. All right. Mess around with a scale. Number four. It's not even real. Play a vintage <laughs> instrument. It resonates better because it is properly uh, broken in. Yeah, some are, some aren't. I mean, what are you going to do? I've played vintage guitars that, you know, look great and cost $20,000 and should blow you away. And boy, they just they just didn't have the tone, didn't have the sustain, didn't have the resonance. I don't know. i got to break in here with a question of my own. Yeah. You can break in a pair of boots, and yeah. I know what that looks like, what that right. feels like. What in the world is a broken-in guitar? Well, it's a feel thing. It's a feel so it's, thing. it's and real? It's, it's, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, I yeah, I know what you're talking about, about boots. I mean, geez, come on, give me a break. Brand-new boots. Yeah, those are painful. That's, that's a... That's a tough job right there, and it takes a couple of weeks to break them in. A guitar, um, I don't know. I think a lot of it's getting used to that guitar because if you get a new guitar, it you know you kind of have to you kind of have to get used to it. So, so I don't know how much head. of it is you and how much of it is the guitar. All right. Um, I don't know. Well, it just that seems yeah. like the voodoo to me right there. Well, my my guitar, my favorite guitar. That's a broken in guitar. That's like a that's well, like that's Mickey Mantle's <laughs> baseball glove. Or I don't know anything. About, I shouldn't do sports references because I don't know anything. Who's about Mickey Mantle? I don't know. Okay. I think he's a basketball player. All right, number five. Use fat strings. They produce a better tone. Uh, yeah. Well, that's kind of true. They have more mass, so they produce more tone. But there are plenty of players that use tiny, dinky little strings. They get a great tone. So I don't know. It's all, it's all, it's all a matter of perception. Um, but heavier strings do have more mass. But it's true. Does that translate to tone, or does that just yeah, translate it to volume? Well, it's it, that's a great question. A little of both. Um, and the other thing about it is, thicker strings are really hard to play. So you might have. You might have slightly better and louder tone, but if you can't make the string do what you want it to do, then doesn't really it matter. doesn't really matter. Yeah. I mean, Billy Gibbons, I've worked on a guitar for Billy Gibbons, and he had eights on it. Wow. That's really light. Yeah. I don't even know guitars, and I know that's light. Mm-hmm. I'm impressed. And nobody complains about his tone. All right. As far as you know. That's right. Play a guitar with nitrocellulose lacquer. The thin lacquer facilitates better sound development. Yeah, that we've talked about that several times. I don't know. I like lacquer, but... Just because of the look, though, right? Does yeah, and on, I think, you know, on an acoustic instrument, a thin lacquer finish, I think, does make a sonic difference. On a solid body guitar, I don't think it makes all that much difference. I really don't. Hmm. Yeah. 
All right. This, we're on number seven, so we're on number seven. Use guitar effects with true bypass to prevent tone loss. Hmm. That's real, actually. Um, uh, some guitar effects pedals, like a, I don't know, a, Dun- a Crybaby or a Dunlop Wah Wah or whatever, whatever, a tuner, whatever. Um, Those sound like made up names. Even when you're <laughs> yeah, a flipjacker flop flopper. <laughs> Uh, no, those are real names. Um, even when it's off, it's still in the circuit of of your um, of of your of your signal. So, a lot like how uh, a volume pot on your guitar, even though it's turned up, there's still a resistance load. So there's resistors and capacitors in that pedal, so, and even when it's off, um, it's still able to to sap a little bit of your signal. It's subtle, and it, there, it's you know it's very subtle, but it is true. True bypass pedals um, completely remove the circuit from your signal path when they're off. But I don't use pedals because I think they make you sound worse whether they're on or off so it doesn't really matter to me but uh but yeah that's real actually i I know because well it's real yeah okay number eight use cryo tuning in essence a very quick freeze to very low temperatures on metal parts to optimize the molecular structure i've heard of that you know and it's something that they do um there, it's something that they do to metal parts, and it's something that they do on. Uh, I met a I met a Seymour Duncan rep a while ago who who was selling some cryogenically treated Seymour Duncan pickups, and they were like five hundred bucks a piece or thousand bucks a piece or something crazy. I don't know. Does it does it make a difference? I honestly don't know because I haven't done any research, so I couldn't tell you. They even sell a string that's cryogenically treated called. Um, I think it's called blue steel. So I don't know. It's possible. I'm I'm open to the to the possibility that it's real, but I really can't tell you whether it's real or not because I don't know for sure. That's my honest truth. That's my honest opinion. All right. And number nine, he says that he skipped because it was going to be about tone caps, and Eric has said no more questions about the tone caps. <laughs> Uh, that's all right. Uh, this is from Axel, and then he gives a rundown of all. Oh of yeah, his so here's scores. his. So here's his scores. So, uh, on the um, unidirectional guitar cable, he gives it a ten, which is total nonsense. Hmm. Oh, that's the directional guitar cable. Yeah. Uh, number two, use very thick instrument cables. He gives it a six, so it's toward the end of nonsense. Oh, good cable. He says, good cables don't need to be fat, but fat cables are often good. Yeah, sure. You know, high-end cables really do make a difference, though, I'll tell you. Uh, Number three, use hand-wound pickups. He gives it a five, and he says, a well-made pickup sounds better, but there are many great-sounding machine-wound pickups. Yeah, I think that's about the same thing I said. Uh, number four is playing a vintage instrument. It resonates better because it's properly broken in. Broken in. Uh, he gives that a score of a six. 
There are great vintage guitars out there. Yeah. But many crap ones. Yep. However, playing a vintage instrument will make you feel better and therefore sound better. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Mm, I, I can suppose. see that. Yeah. It makes you look cooler, too. Yeah. yeah. But it uh, hurts your pocketbook. No. <laughs> I love vintage guitars. I totally... There's yeah. some that won't It's as much. If, if you've ever played the... If you've ever found and played, like, an amazing vintage Fender... That's a that's a game changer. Really, it's a, it's a totally different experience than playing a modern Fender. Wow. Yeah. And that's why you work so hard to recreate. That's correct. So is playing one of your pinups a similar? Experience? It's as close as I can get. It's absolutely as close as humanly possible, as far as I'm aware. Well. Yeah. We just plugged your yeah. Your there website, you go. Pinupcustomguitars.com. Aren't you nice? Um, let's see, what are we on? Oh, number five, use fat strings. They produce a better tone. And Axel says? Score of an eight. Two words, Billy Gibbons. (laughs) That's what I said. Oh, Uh, and he also mentions Tony, who is this? Tony Tony Iommi and Brian May. Uh I didn't know those guys used skinny strings. And also Albert King. Wow. He used skinny strings. That's amazing. Well, listen to how he bends it and you can hear that it's a dinky string but yeah cool yeah. Uh, number six play a guitar with nitrocellulose lacquer um, and Axel says score of seven it looks great and might cause you to play better because of that but no substantial effect on tone and I agree if we're talking solid bodies yeah alright number seven use guitar effects with true bypass to prevent tone loss uh, he gave this one a score of an eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, bad pedals, steel tone, good buffered pedals, don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I don't use them myself. No. I'm blissfully ignorant of pedals. And finally, the uh, cryo tuning on metal parts. Mm-hmm. He gave that a score of a nine. Mm-hmm. Might have some effect, but certainly nothing substantial. Yeah. And I just don't know. Yeah. I just don't know. The way it was explained to me is that if you take, like, for example, if you take a pickup and then you treat it cryogenically, um, it re like basically it realigns the atoms inside the 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 pickup so that it inside the metal parts so that it it's almost like. Uh, it's almost like it. It's 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 a naturally occurring uh, piece of of metal. I don't know how to explain it. So, is but there, is it BS? Probably. I don't know. I really, honestly, don't know. Is there a cryogenic place we could take one of your pickups to just to experiment? Yeah. Do I want to do it? No. It's probably expensive. I'm happy with the way my pickups sound. I don't need them. I don't need them dipped. In a cryogenic chamber. Well, they'll last longer, obviously. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, Axel, thanks for the, that. Was fun. That thanks, was... thanks for the awesome and and thought out uh, submission. And Axel, I want you to know, and everyone, I want you to know that that's the way my mind works on scales of one to ten. <laughs> Just I'll, so you know, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. So rate uh, Axel's submission here on a scale of 1 to 10. I would say it's 
pretty close to a 10. I, nice. Maybe a nine and a half. There you go. Is a, and that's good, right? Very ten, satisfying. Ten is good? Yes, 10 okay, is good. Okay, good. Is a very satisfying. Because <laughs> according to Axel, 10 is total BS. Well, sorry, Axel. Uh, all right. Next. Moving on. Hi, Eric. One idea for your podcast. I love your little explanations on specialized tools or things you use every day in your work on guitars. I have learned a little bit about fret files, tapered reamers, and the use of superglue just by listening to your show. Why not pick one tool that you use frequently and do a little segment on your show about it? I would love to hear your opinions on soldering irons, screwdrivers, or even essential guitar setup and repair tools that the average player does not even think about. Keep up the good work. Oh, this one's also from Axel. Do you think it's a different Axel? Thanks. It might be. If we have two Axels, thank I you didn't for the look great at the, questions. I didn't look at the email addresses. It's probably this same guy, I'm assuming. Um, yeah, so we'll uh, let's talk soldering irons then. Uh, I have two of them. One is a Weller, and one is a Hako? Hako? It's H-A-K-O. I don't know how to pronounce it. Hako? It's Japanese. I feel like Hako would be... Hako is my, is my backup. It's not as good as the Weller. Um, when I was younger and figuring things out, I had uh, one of those little pencil soldering irons that you get from Radio Shack, you know, the orange 20-watt job, and boy... I could not figure out how to make good solder joints, and I thought, what is wrong with me? It's the iron. It was the soldering iron. It's a miracle that I was able to solder anything using that piece of crap. If you have one of those little pencil soldering irons, just coil up the cord very nicely around the soldering iron and place it in the garbage can. Get yourself a nice soldering iron, (laughs) because it will change your life. So it's definitely a case of a good tool makes, oh my makes gosh. a much better product. A good soldering iron should be at least a hundred bucks. All right. If you're if you're using the nineteen dollar special from Radio Shack, you're just I mean that thing is disposable. It's like it's like a disposable diaper. It's like one use and you're done. So uh they're crap. The one I have, I don't know the model number, but it's a Weller and it has a base station where where it's this big substantial you know thing about the size of a brick you know with a dial and you can dial in the temperature from I think it goes from three hundred to eight hundred and fifty something wow. like that yeah yeah I usually keep it around seven hundred unless I'm soldering on the back of a potentiometer or something um, but you can dial in the temperature to where you want it it heats up very quickly. It uh, lets solder flow much better than than that little nineteen. Do- I mean, if you've ever tried to solder on the back of a pot using using one of those twenty watt pencil soldering irons, then you know what I'm talking about. It's just about impossible. So, is there is there anything that somebody should look for in a soldering iron when they go hunting for one? Yeah. That it says Weller on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it should say Weller, and it should be about a hundred bucks at least. All right. The, uh, mine is a, it's it's a it's digitally controlled. It has a digital readout of what the temperature is. I think you can save a little bit of money by going to one that just has a knob with a dial, 
it's really the same thing but without the digital readout but um that's a great soldering iron and i just have the i have the haco or hacko haco as a backup just in case i just in case something you know the weller like implodes well one soldering iron can pretty quickly become zero soldering irons so if you've got two then you've got a backup and you're trying to get a project done it can be a real inconvenience because depending on where you live and even you know i live in a major metropolitan area but i'm not sure even where to go to buy a soldering tip for my weller so if i roach my tip and i don't have any extras then i have to get on amazon and order another tip and wait a week that's not gonna work sometimes a project can't wait a week you can't uh, well for real man these people have gigs. <laughs> I'm working. I'm I'm a profession. I'm working on people's guitars and charging them money. I better I better have a backup. Yeah. Right. No. So, uh, and on the subject of soldering irons, use lead-free solder. It's just safer, right? It, right. It will not poison you like the leaded solder will. Do they still sell leaded solder? Oh, you bet you do. Yeah, absolutely. That seems like that should be illegal by now. You bet they do. Um, why not just use lead pipes into our yeah. kitchen faucets? Uh, the lead-free solder has a slightly different look to it after you know when it's after you've soldered something. It doesn't have quite the sheen that leaded solder does, but it works every bit as good. It's every bit as effective. It's great. It's good stuff. They've come a long way in lead-free solder. Don't buy the leaded stuff. Buy lead-free electrical rosin core solder and uh, save yourself from lead poisoning. There you go. And uh, what do you think about this guy's idea for doing a little segment on, on a tool every every podcast? Yeah, that'd be cool. I, we just did one for soldering irons. Yeah. I Th- love it. Thanks, Axel. All right, next one. Fret Files Questions. I am currently building a parts caster telly and would like to put a Charlie Christian pickup in the neck position. I have looked at the Lawler and Vintage Vibes versions of the Charlie Christian pickup. Do you feel that one is superior to the other? Have you ever done a TV or dog hair finish on a guitar? If so, what process and materials did you use? Great podcast. I look forward to future episodes. Thanks, Logan in Edmonton, Alberta. Thanks, Logan. Do you know what he's talking about with a TV finish or a dog hair finish? I'm going to ask you to to be very specific on what those were. When you're working with a porous wood like mahogany, um, you can use a filler to fill the pores. And uh, you can use a filler that's darker, and so you end up with little streaks in your finish, but it's actually wood grain it's filler in the wood grain and it ends up kind of looking like dog hair oh sure yeah, that's a dog hair finish and tv tv yellow that's a gibson finish they never called it that they called it limed mahogany back in the day but uh it's kind of like the blonde telecaster finish but no i've never done either one i've never done either one uh, because i don't you know the guitars that i make are uh very fender centric and I haven't done much in the way of Gibson-centric finishes, and those are both 
kind of Gibson-centric. So I've never done them, but thanks for the question. Uh, and then he asks about Charlie Christian pickups. Um, I'm not a fan, i got to say. That's a pickup that, as much as I've wanted to like it, I've installed and tried and used a bunch of them. Um, I'm not crazy about the tone of it, and it hums like a room full of Hindus. It's a very noisy pickup. It has a lot of hum. Wow. You cringed at my analogy. Yeah. Is that offensive? Well, maybe. It hums. It's got a lot of... of, It's not my thing, but um, Lawler makes a very good one. I know a lot of people really love that pickup, so... Yeah. No. I, I don't know anything about the vintage vibe one. Okay. I've 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 heard the Lawler one and it sounds like a Charlie Christian does. Here's the thing about a Charlie Christian pickup. It's designed in like the 30s. It's it's a uh, pickup design has has come a long way since that pickup was made and it's just not I don't know, it's just not my thing. Cool. Yeah. Lots of stuff is just not your thing tonight. Sorry about it. Well, that's okay. I'm just wondering if I'm picking up on the... If, if you're being negative or if this if that's just the nature of the questions tonight. Um, I don't know. I remember having tried Charlie Christians in the past and, and liking them for a moment, but I, it's just... Uh, a tone that I wasn't in love with and there's too much hum. That's all. All right. Cool. Next guy says, Hi, Eric. I'm a podcast listener from Belfast, North Ireland. I joined you during the fretboard journal tsunami after Jason mentioned you in a FJ podcast. Oh, yeah. I love your podcast, especially since Melissa got involved. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Hmm. The musical clips you play tell me all I need to know about your guitar-making philosophy. You can hear it in the tone. Seriously. Ah, thanks, man. I have a question for you. I'm interested in how much you think scale length affects the sound of pickups. I've n- never heard a real Les Paul or SG humbucker sound from sound from PAFs on a Strat or Tele-style guitar, and I wonder if you can get proper P90 sounds from a longer scale, or if you think it only really works on, say, a Les Paul Jr. or a 330-type format. I recently saw a Warmoth ad for shorter-scale necks to retrofit to Fender-style guitars and wonder if they're thinking what I'm thinking. Hmm. Anyway, keep up the good work, both of you, and good luck for the future. I say you deserve to prosper mightily. All the best, Peter. Hmm. Thanks, Peter. Yeah, thanks, Peter. You know, it's... I, I've never really thought about it that way, the way that you describe, but it makes sense because string length or scale length affects the way the string vibrates. So if you're using a set of tens on a on a fender scale and you're using a set of tens on a Gibson scale, the Gibson scale is slightly shorter. They're at different um to get the same pitch, they're at 
different levels of uh, tightness. What am I trying to say here? Um, tension? Tension, thank you. They're at different tensions to get the same pitch. And so the shorter scale string actually moves more because it's at a lower tension. So it does make sense. I've never really thought about it. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying, Peter. And I think that you may you may be onto something there. I think it might make a slight difference. Yeah, I think so. Melissa keeps bumping the microphone tonight. Sorry. I, everybody, you're fired. I've got a cold, and I keep <laughs> leaning forward to, to cough or to drink uh, my tea. Or, and every time I lean back, I bump into the mic. I'm yeah, so sorry. That's true. That's okay. Uh, Thanks for the question, yeah, Peter. Yeah, that was a great question, Peter. Yeah, it Peter. was. Eric, I love the show. My background is primarily acoustic guitars, but as a budding repairman, I'm trying to self-smart myself on electric guitars, so I'm enjoying the electric guitar-centric nature of your show. I've got two questions for you. You know, one thing quickly on that. I I do a lot of acoustic repair. It's just that for some reason... People are only submitting electric guitar questions, which, which is fine, but, um, it, yeah, he's right. There is a kind of an electric guitar-centric nature of the show, but it's not by design. I'm just answering the questions I'm getting. It's kind of interesting. So send us your acoustic questions. Yeah, please. But uh, it does tell you something about our audience, and it does tell you about something, something about uh, podcast listeners, perhaps. You know what I mean? Electronics. There's you know what I mean? They're technology. They, they have electricity in their house, <laughs> where an acoustic player probably doesn't. Right? Yeah. Why would they need it? They don't. All right. Uh, question one: What are your thoughts on some of the guitar building schools that are out there, uh, Roberto Venn, etc.? I know schools aren't a substitute for real-world experience, but do they have value? Or since you are spring-loaded to think everything is a scam, <laughs> do you think they are scammed? Hold That's on. That's a real Be- listener right there. Before Eric says anything, when I first met Eric, uh, this was seven years ago now, he was telling me about everything, you know, because he lived in Seattle and I didn't. And he's like, oh, that's a scam. Oh, that's a scam. And I said, you think that everything is a scam, don't you? And he said, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's been kind of a theme of our relationship. It's been a theme of my entire life, is the thing. <laughs> it, I'm telling you, everything's a scam. You just assume everything's a scam until proven otherwise. Uh, no, th- uh, to answer your question, um, uh, some of the best builders and repairmen that I've met came out of Roberto Van. And also some of the worst. So, something like that. A, a, a luthier school or a course of some kind. You're going to get out of it what you put into it. And you're also going to get out of it... Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to amplify your ability uh, if, if you've got natural inclinations toward guitar craft but some of the, I mean it when I say it some of the best I mean Jason Lawler went to Roberto Venn he makes 
beautiful guitars. I know he's he's known as a as a pickup maker, and he makes fine pickups, great pickups, in fact. But he makes beautiful guitars. He doesn't make very many of them, and I don't even think people know this, but uh, he makes amazing guitars. He went to Roberto Van, uh, but I've I've run into I run into guitar repair people all the time. Just the nature of what I'm doing, and uh, man, some of the worst hacks I've ever seen. And of course, I won't mention any names. And if you're listening to the podcast, I'm not talking about you. But uh, some of the biggest hacks I've ever seen also went to Roberto Van. So a school, you're gonna you're gonna get out of it what you put into it. It's just one more way to learn, you know. If if you're self-taught, same thing. If you're going to be lazy, if you're going to cut corners, and if you're going to be sloppy in your work, it doesn't really matter whether you were self-taught or whether you went to school. Be the best you can, no matter where you learned it, you know? Life lessons from Eric Dahl. <laughs> well, I'm serious, you no, know? Yeah, for you sure. Take pride in your work, be the best you can, know your limitations, and educate yourself, whether it's through self-guided education or whether it's through a school um, you know get the most out of it and and use the information and knowledge that that you get well and I think that too that some people would thrive more in a school environment than trying to learn by themselves it's it's true it's true and I never went to a school like that I'm mostly a self-taught and and went through kind of a self-guided education even though I do owe a lot to 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 a few guys who showed me a lot of things but i'm mostly self-taught and uh i I think that i you know i could have gone to one of those schools but um just like you said some people just aren't geared towards it and i'm just not geared towards school centered learning like that i'm not a college dropout so am i you know that there you go that's true actually yeah yeah (laughs) I dropped out before I even went to class. Uh, and Philip here has part two of oh, his yes. question. Uh, second question. You have mentioned numerous times that modern Fender and Gibsons aren't anywhere close to their vintage counterparts. You use the Model T analogy and Bruce Jenner analogy. <laughs> sorry about I it. I don't remember the Bruce Jenner analogy, but I can imagine. My apologies what it was. to Hindus and Model T owners and to Bruce Jenner. Uh, Caitlyn Jenner. Whatever. Uh, you never really talk about, though, why you hold that opinion. What is it about modern Fenders and Gibson guitars that make them inferior? Let's assume for the sake of this discussion to include only American-made modern Fender and Gibsons. I realize that the finishes are different, but you've already stated that finishing, finishes probably mm-hmm. has fairly minor role in tone. Mm-hmm. You've also stated ad nauseum that capacitors don't matter. Other than the quality of the tone, or of the caps. You've also mentioned that the pots aren't as good as they used to be, but CTS are okay. What other variables, in your opinion, make modern guitars inferior to their vintage counterparts? Is the new hardware inferior? I'm totally also a vintage guy, and I'm not subscribing to the vintage myth that that someone mentioned in a previous podcast. So I understand why vintage guitars have appeal. But I'd also like to be able to look objectively at modern guitars. If you can shed some light on why you look down your nose at modern American Fenders and Gibsons, I'd appreciate it. 
Thanks, Philip from Texas. Thanks, Philip. Yeah, it's a great question, and I'm and I'm glad you're giving me the opportunity to expound upon my my uh, beliefs here. But if you look at what Gibson's been doing for the past few years, uh, they are moving toward a um, they're just moving toward a different uh, set of standards. They're they've they've completely gone away from using pots and switches, and if you open up if you open up the control cavity, there's a big circuit board in there. Uh, there's a big circuit board that just looks like it was mass-produced in China. I don't know where it was produced, but it looks Chinese to me. I mean, it looks like if you opened up your, your cell phone, what would be inside there? So it, it doesn't have even CTS pots in there. It doesn't have potentiometers really at all. It has, well, they are, they are potentiometers, but they're... Um, part of an integrated circuit that's that's a it's a circuit board uh is does does that make a huge difference in your tone or something like that well what it what it means to me is that they're cutting corners they're cutting corners and they're also going down a different road where they they are under the impression that the future uh, is going to mean more technology when it comes to their guitars. So even though they are creating traditional guitars, uh, the same guitars that they've created as a as a company, you know, for f- fifty plus years. Well, I'm talking about their electric guitars predominantly. Um, they really have bought into the fact or the theory that uh, they need to be more technologically advanced. So. They've, they're replacing their tuners on, on most of their, uh, like, Les Paul models with these crazy robot tuners. And if you've seen what I'm talking about, then uh, you know it looks absurd and it looks cheap. And while I'm sure it works, how long is it going to work? Because it looks like somebody took and glued a Wii paddle... A, a, a video game controller to the back of your headstock. It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. It it looks like it's the same technology that's in, say, your iPhone. How long does your iPhone last? How how often do people switch phones and get a new phone? How people how often do people break? Their phones. I would see every couple of years. Once every two years. How long are these robot tuners going to last? I mean, if you've got a fifty-year-old Les Paul, that thing is still cooking along. As long as it's been well taken care of, it's still fine. These robot tuners and the circuit board electronics—it's like built-in obsolescence. This is a low point in Gibson's history. Perhaps the lowest point I've ever seen um are they still doing some things right absolutely they absolutely are but uh they're cutting corners they're um some of it is kind of hard to some of it's kind of hard to even describe but the guitars are looking and feeling more like epiphones all the time they're looking and feeling more like they're like Asian copies all the time. 
the finishes, it seems like the finishes are getting thicker. The way that they're doing, um, you know, just the fit and finish of the guitar, the f- f- fret ends and the and the the nut and it, just everything about it, they're just starting to. It's it, they're, they're very subtle differences. They're very subtle differences, but they're cutting corners. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Fender, but on a smaller scale. Fender is is um, especially when we're talking about Fender's custom shop. Fender custom shop guitars are great, and you know, same with Gibson. If if you want to pay five thousand dollars for one of their custom shop guitars, yeah, they're nice. But just their standard USA models, custom shop aside, Fender and Gibson both, they're um, they're look, they're just not what they used to be. They're just not what they used to be, and and I wish that I could tell you different, but I work on them day in and day out. I, I see a ton of them, and uh, they're just not what they used to be. A lot of it's a, a, a feel thing, and a lot of it's just details, but um, yeah, what else can I tell you about it? I, I hope that that kind of cleared it up for you, Philip, because it's really, it's it's more than just a gut reaction like I like the old guitars these new guitars are garbage whippersnappers it really is more than that man uh it really is more than that i mean i've been to the nam show and seen you know what what the the direction gibson thinks they're going is crazy i mean you walked into gibson's booth this last last nam show you walk into gibson's booth and it in the it's which is in which is a huge huge room i mean it's not a booth it's a huge room you walk into that room and up front they have a bunch of turntables gibson is making turntables. they have a bunch of dj turntables and little listening stations with les paul branded headphones that that have sunburst paint jobs i don't the guitars were all in the back i don't think les paul really branded those those headphones it's absurd they they've gone off the rails they're crazy they're going to start selling they're going to start offering gibson cell phones uh, you watch they're going to start offering um uh, well why not i mean they know they can make money doing it and that's what it that's and that's the deal you you pretty soon you're going to be able to go into best buy and you're going to be able to buy um gibson cell phone I'm going to wait for the uh, Gibson blue jeans. And that's, you know, look, the same thing with Fender. This is a company that's changed hands a half a dozen times since its inception. So anymore, it's just a brand. It's a brand that has been bought and sold, and now it's made in a different place by different people, different factory, different different design and manufacturing philosophies different parts diff- i mean it really is just a brand that has completely changed hands uh and so any brand loyalty you have to fender or gibson because they made great guitars in the past you know they really have to be judged on, on what they're doing now for you to accept what they're doing now does that make sense yeah sure Okay, I think anyway, that covers it. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Philip. 
I always hear so much about 50s and 60s era Fenders and Gibson guitars being so much better than their modern counterparts. Oh, another question like this. <laughs> when I look at a Telecaster, it seems like a simple beast made to be mass-produced. Oh, mm. I see what he's saying. A simple beast made to be mass-produced. Yes. Why is a standard 50s Telecaster so much better than today's standard Tele? I know they can get closer in the custom shop models, but why not in standard models? What do you do with your own builds to get this vintage quality? Andrew in Memphis. It's a good question, Andrew, and I, I appreciate it. Um, there are fine details that it takes a craftsman to do. So, for example, making a bone nut by hand, you have to pay somebody to do that, where... Um, their standard models, they put one of these plastic ones on there that was just made by a machine, spits out, you know, 50 of them a minute. There's other things like the woodworking aspect of rounding the fingerboard edges and just the contours of the headstock and the neck where if you look at, say, if you look at, uh, uh, even, even like, you know, the Mexican ones are pretty good. The Mexican tellies are pretty good. But if you look at the headstock, like look at the back of the headstock and how sharp all the contours are. Nobody is nobody's going in and sanding that by hand before it's finished. It just it just goes through a through a a machine that cuts it and shapes it and then they spray finish on it. it nobody's taking the time to do the fine details that that uh, that used to happen on those fifties and sixties guitars. Those guitars, the, the early Telecasters, were made by hand. Those are handmade guitars. Modern Telecasters are made by machines. Do, does that? Do, do you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. There's some hands-on work, like you move the piece from one machine to another, but it's not. You know, it's like, uh, like. Tadio Gomez was one of was a famous neck shaper in the early Fender days, and he you know would sign his initials to the neck and uh, uh, the the shaping of that neck, the hand shaping of the contours of where the neck transitions into the headstock is just masterful, and that takes time. It's it can't really be replicated by a machine. It's it's uh, those were very. Uh, tediously made guitars, even though they're, yes, like you say, they were kind of mass-produced. Um, I don't know. It's a lot of... It's. A, it, you ever seen a 50s television? Sure. Yeah, of course. It's in a cherry wood cabinet. And it's about six feet tall, or six... I mean, six feet wide. It, it's a piece of furniture. Yeah. Compare that to a modern TV. You have two choices. Black plastic gray plastic. These are your choices. Back then, you went to buy a TV and it was like, okay, you can get you can get blonde wood. You got to match your get, furniture. You can get cherry, the cherry cabinet. You know, they're beautiful with beautiful logos and you know, RCA Victor and beautiful grill cloth. It's a piece of beautiful furniture. It's art, really, is what it was. Today's TVs work better, but you have a choice. Black plastic, gray plastic. Manufacturing techniques have just changed since the 50s. And it goes all across the board. You look at the same thing that goes for guitars. 
Same thing goes for televisions or cars. You ever knocked your fist on a 50s Buick? It's like a tank. Stout, man. It's thick steel. I don't think a Prius sounds like that. You shut the door of a modern car and you just about dent it just shutting it. I mean, you can literally, like, push in the side of a car just by just pushing it a little. Yeah. You can't do that on an old car. That no. Look, manufacturing techniques have just changed. Um, and it, it applies to guitars just like it applies to any other industry. Yep. Know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. I appreciate so much, you guys, your your participation in the podcast. Melissa, thank you so much. I know you didn't feel well tonight. I thanks. feel great. Thanks for sticking it out and doing the podcast. I, I really do enjoy doing the podcast. Really? I do. I don't know if we've announced on the podcast, but, but uh, we're expecting another baby. Yep. Melissa's pregnant. I'm about uh, four months mm-hmm. along. Due in January. You're feeling real pregnant, aren't you? Uh, yeah. Feeling, <laughs> got a cold. It's only going to get worse. I got you know. a big belly already. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're excited. That does it for this edition of the Fret Files podcast. Thank you so much for participating in the show. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, we'll see you next month. Later. Later.